0: Five, four, three, two, one. What's up guys and welcome to another episode of Inside You The College Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Xavier Odic, and we are back. It is Wednesday, november twenty first, twenty eighteen for another episode of Group of Five Wednesday. So let's get right into another huge week of college sports, lots of football, lots of basketball, and it is rivalry week. So we're going to have a lot of fun things to break down today. So let's get right into it. First things first, as usual. I was right and I was wrong. Basketball edition. I was right that Duke would defeat Auburn. Final score there, 78-72. to 72. The freshman trio of Barrett, Reddish, and Zion, 18 apiece for Reddish and Barrett, 13 for Zion. The story, though, really for me was Auburn Tigers point guard Jared Harper, 22 points. Very impressive performance by him. This was coming off a huge game he had in the first round against Xavier. And Bruce Pertle's team looks like the team to beat in the SEC right now. Also, Duke continuing to show that they're legit, that they can play. People thought that maybe Auburn's experience might give them troubles, but they had no difficulties leading most of the way, continuing to get easy buckets in transition, and moving their way into the championship game against Gonzaga, which I'll break down in a bit. Then I was wrong that Xavier would defeat San Diego State. Final score there, 79-74. Xavier up 19 points at one point, but the duo of Jalen McDaniels and Devin Watson, 25-21 and 21 apiece. Very impressive performance for Brian Dutcher's team. And really, this was just symptomatic of what we've seen all throughout the Maui Invitational with Travis Steele's team. Unfortunately, for as talented as they appear to be, as athletic as they appear to be, just more sloppy play. Last year, they played a lot of 1-3-1 drone under former head coach Chris Mack. This year, they're showing a lot more man-to-man. And for whatever reason, they're just not covering well, really having a difficulty dealing with on-ball screens. Underneath, a lot of times, there's a lack of communication. Auburn in the first round game got way too many easy points in the paint. That continued. And Travis Steele's team just does not look like a team that, with the talent they have, should be doing better. Although, granted, they look like they're going to beat Illinois tonight. But more on that in a bit. Then I was right that Wisconsin would defeat Stanford. Final score there, 62 to 46. Scandal can Stanford actually impressed me considering the fact that they lost Reed Travis in the offseason to Kentucky. But Ethan Happ, 16 points, 12 rebounds before before fouling out of the game. But what I really noticed about the Wisconsin game, which was on as the same time as the Duke-Gonzaga game, which I'll get to in a bit, was the difference in speeds. Stanford and Wisconsin were moving at one speed, and Gonzaga and Duke were playing at another speed. So if you're kind of looking to compare them, certainly a very good team Wisconsin has. Certainly very impressive how Hap continues to play, although I wonder how he might translate his game to the next level Looking at how he scored today, a lot of it was just kind of him physically imposing his abilities against the guys that were tasked to guard him for the Cardinals. I don't know if he can do that at the next level. Right now, he has me wondering if he's kind of a Tyler Hansbrough type character, or maybe he's a great college player, but not necessarily a legitimate pro prospect. So then I was wrong that U of A would defeat Gonzaga. To be fair there, even with this ending 91-74, to Sean Miller's team had its moment. Certainly were leading at one point and looked like they might run away with it. But after Chase Jeter fouled out following a loose ball foul and then an ensuing technical, the bottom fell out for the Wildcats. Certainly a very disappointing loss for Miller's team who looked like, at least for brief moments, that they could possibly upset the Zags. Justin Coleman continues to impress 28 points. But Gonzaga right now is looking like the best team in the country. And remember, they're doing it without Killian Tiley, who's still out for about another month with an ankle injury. In his stead, the combination of Clark, Perkins, and Hatchie Moore are getting the job done. And we'll get to that in a bit. And then lastly, I was wrong that Illinois would defeat Iowa State. The Cyclones just running roughshod over the Illinois final score there, 84-68. to 68. Tucker 26 points and 14 rebounds and following an 18 and 2 run the Cyclones got up and never looked back. So that then moves us along to the championship of the Maui Classic Gonzaga versus Duke. The Zags defeating The Zags defeating Iowa State The Zags defeating a couple of good teams to get to where they were. Duke defeating a couple of good teams. But ultimately, the Zags able to pull this one through. Final score, there, 89-87. Blue Devils were down 16 in the second half at one point before closing the gap and making it close. And there's a lot of takeaways from this game that I really want to get into. So let's get started. First off, I was wrong. I thought Gonzaga would run roughshod over the Zags. They certainly looked like in the second half after they switched into that 1-2-2 two, two press and focused more on moving the ball in transition that they were going to make a comeback. But fortunately, the Zags, with their experience, were able to hold them off. So a very impressive showing for Mark Fuse's team. Rue Hachimura, going into the game, to be honest, hadn't impressed me that much. But today, he showed up 20 points, showed off a little bit more of a versatile game, had a couple of nice turnarounds, some drop steps, and the real... Impressive thing being that open knockdown three he had early on in the game. Also, what really impressed me about Hachimura's game was the passing. He was consistently finding teammates under the basket to negate Duke's attempts to double team him. For a player who's only about 6'8 to have that court vision, very impressive. Looks like that'll bode well to him at the next level, especially as he continues to improve his game. So he is now up for me when looking at these future NBA prospects. Duke, though, a lot of things to get into. Uh, first off, in the first half, the Zags took advantage of what I think has been Duke's weak point all year, which is their difficulty defending in the half court. They're so focused on constantly wanting to get it out in transition that oftentimes they get sloppy on the defensive end. They don't communicate and they let the opposing team get wide open layups provided they make the pass. Consistently, just by the Zags waiting until later in the shot clock to get their shot up, they were getting open looks because by that point, the Blue Devils' defensive rotation had broken down. Also, offensively, especially in the second half, really showed the limitations of the Gonzaga team pretty much all game. Clark, who was tasked with trying to stop Zion Williams, and to his credit, did a very good job, was playing about five feet off of Williamson, only really trying to stop him from getting to the rim, really was not respecting his three-point ability. I don't recall for the life of me Zion even taking one outside shot in this game. Certainly going to need to work on developing that outside shot at the next level. Today was a good example of him playing against the guy who has somewhat like NBA-like athleticism. For him to be able to have stopped him, granted, Williamson did have some great dunks. A couple of nice buckets in the paint, but most of them came from that regular uh, over-the-right-shoulder-left hook that we've seen consistently, the biggest one being that drop step he had in the second half. Very nice move, very impressive, but he's a lefty to begin with. For him to be going to his strong hands, really not that impressive. If he were to add a counter move, maybe over the right shoulder or a fadeaway or some other thing, I think that would really improve his game. But he certainly was seen today that the way to beat him is basically say, if he's going to shoot us out of the game, well, why as well let him. Then Cam Reddish almost going silent in the second half, really didn't hear from apart from a couple of free throws. And then the one who I think impressed me the most of the th- trio was AJ Barrett continuing to show off his game, many times going coast to coast with his man, getting the ball off a rebound, pushing a tradition, either finishing with a nice dunk or a layup. Very impressive, although at the end of the game, you could tell he kind of said, I'm just going to try and win this for myself. Look to take Ru Hachimura one-on-one, ultimately did not get a shot off. Would have thought they might have called the foul there, given how close they were calling it earlier on in the game. But they let the guys play, and then what was most impressive was that it looked like the Blue Devils were going to get a chance off the deflection to get up a last-second shot, a good look to potentially tie the game. They didn't, and the Zags ultimately won. So, a very impressive game for the Zags. The Blue Devils have nothing to hang their heads on. They were playing arguably the best team in the country right now. Again, without Killian Tiley, this game could have been very different. We saw with Kizzard and some of the other guys that Gonzaga has on the roster, what having a stretch big on the floor can do for them. Imagine if Ilian Tiley and both Ru Hachimura were doing it inside, and then you had the guard play of Perkins and some of the other guards for the Zags. That would be a scary stop for me right now if I'm Mark Stoshevsky and watching game tape of this game. But nothing to hang their heads on again. A very tough victory for them. They were undefeated up until then, had defeated some nice games. They did defeat an Auburn team, which had the same experience level as the Gonzaga team, except without kind of that inside presence, which you really need to push this Duke team. Remember, going back to Duke's probably most impressive victory of the season right now, that opening season victory over Kentucky, even with them blowing out the Wildcats, Reed Travis was able to put up 20 points that night, pretty much just off of layups in the paint. So that's definitely a weakness for the Blue Devils that they're going to want to shore up going forward. And then what frustrated me the most about this game was the fact that at the end of the game, Gonzaga had two opportunities to put this game away. Clark had two free throws, and then Rue had two free throws. They missed both of them. Had they made even one of them a piece, that puts the game out of reach for the Blue Devils. But they missed all four, and they gave A.J. Baird an opportunity to tie the game up. Fortunately, he came up short. I was also sitting on hands and needles there kind of going, please don't let him jack up a three and win this game on a last-minute three because they were giving him a lot of room early on there. But the last thing I want to say about this game is just kind of looking at what I think has become the big debate is R.J. Baird versus Zion Williamson. Who should be number one? This game really showed up that as of today, Barrett is, in my opinion, the better professional prospect right now. As in, as this moment today, if they were tasked with going to playing an NBA game, I think Barrett would fare a lot better. He looks to be a little further along with shooting the ball. He's a little bit better ball handler. He can get out in transition, push the ball. Now, granted, Zion Williamson can also do a lot of those things, but he appears to be a little bit behind when it comes to developing that outside shot. And looking at their athleticism, I'm sure Zion Williamson is probably more athletic than R.J. Barrett. He's more athletic than probably anybody out there, apart from maybe LeBron James. But it's not like R.J. Barrett's at a significant advantage. He's just slightly behind him. If you were to take R.J. Barrett's game and give it to Zion, now we're looking at possibly the best prospect ever. If you were to do the reverse... I would argue that R.J. Barrett's probably worse off because he doesn't have that 285-pound frame that Williamson has, which allowed him to push guys around in the post. But still an impressive performance. A lot more to watch about going forward. I'm intrigued to respond at what adjustments Coach K makes going forward, watching the game tape from this. Jack White played huge minutes for the Blue Devils tonight. A little surprised to see him play as much as he did, especially with him picking up a couple of early fouls. Will be interesting to see what Coach K does. Remember, the other knock on the Blue Devils so far has been that they don't really have depth apart from that starting five. They really then do kind of fall off after that. They're only about six, seven deep. So maybe tonight we saw some of the cracks in the what other guys look like impenetrable armor. So that moves us along to the top storylines in sports right now. Probably the biggest one right now being that Number one, 2019 basketball prospect, or number two, if you follow rivals, James Weissman committed to Memphis. Very impressive pickup for new Memphis head coach, Penny Hardaway. They were in a battle with John Calipari in Kentucky for Weissman, and it looks like he's going to end up staying home. Penny kind of found his way back into coaching in a very intriguing way. Started out coaching middle school, then moved up to the high school, then was coaching at the AAU level and then ultimately found his way back to his alma mater in Memphis. Now, why I'm not so quick to say that this is the sign of a new age of recruiting in college sports is that Penny had a strong previous connection with Weissman. He had coached him in high school at East High School in Memphis, as well as in the summers on his AAU team. It's a bit too early for me to say that one prospect coming home is indicative of a change in... Is indicative of a sea of change throughout college sports, especially to say that Coach K's empire is crumbling is just a little too quick for me. Not the first time we've seen a guy decide to stay home just because they know that they're only going to be there for one year, so you might as well enjoy it while you're at it. Also, if anyone were going to be at risk of claiming to have taken over Coach K's throne as arguably the best recruiter in the country, I think Coach K right now has proven that he's done a better job. Not only was he able to get three of the top rated freshmen in the country but in the same year and with none of them being concerned about possibly losing some luster or not getting the shots they want per game so a bit too early for me to say that the empire is crumbling but a huge pickup for a huge pickup for um the tigers here very impressive in many ways the reason why penny hardaway was brought into that program to bring some life to it you know after calipari left for Kentucky certainly the program had kind of rescinded into the wild for the few last few years hadn't really heard much about them sure they would get there every now and then some highly ranked prospects but they never really did much with them so now we're going to see once he has that talent next year what he does with it but a very impressive pickup for Penny Hardaway and the Tigers so that moves us along to the newest college football playoff rankings this is the Fourth, that means there's two more before Selection Sunday. And if you are a fan of the Golden Knights, you're either very happy or very angry. The Knights are now the number nine team in the country. 10-0, remember they did lose that one game to Hurricane Florence. This is coming off their college game day victory over Cincinnati, another top 25 ranked team. And they appear to be firmly ensconced in that New Year's Six Bowl Will they represent the group of five. Barring absolute chaos, I don't see them getting above fifth. Uh, Certainly looking at this games weekend, the outcome of Ohio State, Michigan, as well as Georgia and Alabama in the SEC championship game could certainly impact what happens ahead of them. Also, Oklahoma, West Virginia, definitely going to impact what happens there. But even if all of the lesser ranked teams were to lose, that would be Ohio State, West Virginia. And then in the SEC championship game, Georgia, I would see the committee just essentially flipping the loser and winner and UCF would still be on the outside looking in. But I do like that they're finally in the top 10. I've said it all along, but I think LSU is significantly overranked for them to have three losses now and be, excuse me, two losses now and be ranked higher than many. One loss and two loss teams to me is just ridiculous. I know their strength of schedule, and they've beaten X many teams with records over 500, but many of those teams play in the SEC. They are only playing eight conference games. That means they get four non-conference games to schedule each year, and that also results in them getting this two bi-week system where they're playing cupcake games prior to the last game of the season. So Interesting to see the Golden Knights. They're finally in the top 10. Would like to see them a little bit higher. My guess would be around seven. I think I'd be be better. But again, it really doesn't matter because they're not getting into the playoff as much as Danny White and the Golden Knights fans complain. So that moves us along to a very interesting scenario with what happens if Ohio State beats Michigan and then Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship game. Oklahoma loses to excuse me oklahoma beats west virginia this weekend makes its way into the big 12 championship game next weekend where they face texas assuming they beat kansas and then texas defeats oklahoma and then on top of all this alabama loses to georgia in the sec championship game i think given that we've heard this narrative particularly when it comes to ucf and that we've already heard it a little bit with regard to oklahoma and to a lesser extent Ohio State but it has kind of been out there is great offensive teams bad defensive teams would the committee go Alabama is a more balanced team their offense is great their defense for the most part is great barring one unfortunate loss of the season this is one of the top four best teams in the country and guess what big 12 champion you're out big 10 champion you're out pac 12 champion likely out and then Notre Dame and Clemson I hope that doesn't happen but I will say. It would not surprise me if the committee went this way. They've already kind of telegraphed that that's what they're thinking about, having ranked Oklahoma where they have, saying, you know, the offense is great, but that defense. So let's not be surprised if the committee goes that route in the next few weeks. But again, that will require three huge upsets for that to happen. So not a huge concern right now, but we do want to keep an eye on it. Then Washington State, still number eight, one spot above the Golden Knights keeping the Pac-12 playoff hopes alive. Looking at the rest of their schedule, they've got a huge top 25 showdown on this weekend in the Apple Cup against Washington, which I think they'll win. But then they're taking on Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. Utah right now is ranked. Somehow they've managed to continue to win games without their starting quarterback and running back. Very impressive showing by Kyle Whittingham and his staff with the Utes there. But I don't see even a victory over the Utes propelling the Cougars to the Pac-12 playoff. Even if they were undefeated right now. Remember, they did have a very controversial loss to USC early in the season. I just don't see the Cougars getting in this year. However, they're looking like they're going to have a very nice Rose Bowl showing against probably Ohio State. So, great showing for Mike Leach and Kel. But unfortunately, I don't see them getting higher than... The Rose Bowl. Then West Virginia at 11. Excuse me, uh, Florida and Penn State both. I had issues with their rankings. Uh, I thought they were both overranked again. I've said it before with Florida, but other than them being at one side or having an outside chance of winning the SEC East, since then they really haven't been that impressive. Whenever they've played one of the top teams in the country, they really haven't showed up. Penn State, kind of a similar issue. While they've certainly hung around and Trace McSorley is continuing to do a fine job there, their performance against the better teams in their conference isn't that great. For them to be ranked above West Virginia, who only has two losses, both of those coming on the road, one of them to Iowa State, who the committees had consistently as a top 25 team, and then an Oklahoma State team, which will likely have a victory over the Mountain West Conference champion. That is a slap in the face to the Big 12 for me and just continues to show the committee devaluing the Big 12. So, in my opinion, if you're looking at how the committee views the conferences outside of the SEC and Big 10, look no further than the Pac-12 and the Big 12. Obviously, it appears that they value the Pac-12 slightly above the Big 12 But the Big 12 is certainly the committee's least favorite conference. At least that's what it appears so far. So moving on over to college basketball. Tonight is the culmination of the first part of Feast Week. Really the first time we get a true sense of what we're going to be looking at in the coming weeks. When teams are forced to come out of their cupcake full preseason schedule to really play some teams that we shouldn't expect. This has resulted in me having a number of takes, having watched a lot of these college basketball games in the last few days. So I'm just going to run through some of them. First one being, looking at the ACC right now, even with Duke's upset loss to Gonzaga, I still think the Blue Devils should be the favorite to pull off the victory there. Just their speed and their athleticism and their ability to get up and down the floor. And what I'd like to see them do is really focus and implement more of a press often, that was one of the few times we really saw Gonzaga kind of wince was when they went to that 1-2-2. Two, two. You could see the guards kind of go, oh, wait, what is this for a minute hesitate. I think they have the ability and athleticism and length to do that all game if they really want to. And it wonder if Coach K might go that route. But that leaves us in a situation where all the other teams are really playing for second place. And I think that that's going to come down to one of the Virginia schools. UVA, obviously, we know what this team does. They like to play that 2-3 zone. They like to play fundamental basketball, and they like to keep you under 40 points a game. I think that that style could be very difficult for the Blue Devils to deal with, especially if they have an off-night shooting. But I still think that that probably puts them a step behind, who I think will be the second-place team in the ACC this year, and that is Bud Williams' Virginia Tech team. Virginia Tech had a very impressive showing in the Charleston Classic. Had a nice win, probably an underrated win over a very good Northeastern team. This is a team that gets up and down the floor. They play hard defense. They can shoot it. They have high energy all game. I really like this team right now. They're one of my sleeper picks come March Madness. And I think they could very well take second in the ACC. Looking at some of the competition right now, you know Syracuse obviously didn't have the showing they wanted in the 2K Empire Classic losing in the first round to Bobby Hiller's UConn team, and then subsequently losing to Oregon in the second round. After the game, Jim Aheim basically said, we didn't play well anywhere. Uh, Certainly that's true, but what to me was a bigger story was just that it was entirely one-on-one balls for the Qs, not really any team thing. Everyone was trying to take their man 94 feet every time and score on their own. That just simply won't work if you're having an off night. So moving over to the Pac-12 Surprise, surprise, Arizona may well be the best team in the Pac-12. This team really entered the season without its usual height because of the effects of the pay per play scandal on the Wildcats. But this team reminds me of one of those old Sean Miller teams at Xavier. They're gritty. They've got a nice resilience to them, which we really haven't seen in Sean Miller teams before at Arizona. They play hard. Size is a bit of concern for me. But I think if the ball bounces their way, they very well could win the Pac-12. Certainly, Washington's late concerns me a very athletic team. Had a nice come-from-behind victory over Texas A&M last night. Matisse Stiebel, a very impressive player. Limited offensively, but still, athleticism is very, very impressive. Oregon is the real deal. Holyfield, a very good team. Certainly, we saw them struggle in the first game against Iowa in the 2K Classic. But they responded nicely in the second game against Syracuse pulling off the victory the hype for Bull Bull is real although his game still needs some work to get to that next level and they're doing all of this without Lewis King for the Ducks so there's still a bit of a question mark and then UCLA really is a question mark right now although we're going to get to see them play Michigan State pretty soon on Thursday that's going to give us an opportunity to really gauge what we're dealing with with Steele Alford's team And then USC did not impress me in their loss to Texas Tech a couple of nights ago. So, having seen all these schools and having watched Arizona State play earlier in the season, right now I think assuming the Wildcats can avoid Chase Jeter getting into foul trouble like he did against Auburn, the combination of Coleman and Brandon Randolph is going to win a lot of games for the Wildcats this year. Then, Duke is Duke. I know they lost tonight to Gonzaga, but this team is loaded Again, I'd like to see them focus more on just getting the ball in transition. Certainly, they need to play better defensively. For a team that athletic to struggle to play defense as much as they had, it's just a simple matter of effort. Coach K needs to address that in practice, focus more on getting hands in passing lanes, disrupting the other team's flow, because the ultimate truth is that defense creates offense, and this Blue Devil team should really never struggle the rest of the season, provided they're able to do that. So that moves along to Auburn, who may be the best team in the SEC right now. Well, they did lose to Duke by eight. Jared Harper impressed me a heck of a lot, especially with his performance in the Xavier game. Whenever they needed a big shot, he would step up and knock down a three. He was getting to the rim. He had an incredible dunk in the game against Xavier, really put the game away for the Tigers. And this is coming off of watching Tennessee and Admiral Scholdfeld play against a Decent Louisville team, but not great. Bruce Pearl's team right now, certainly with Kentucky looking a little bit down, I think is positioned very nicely to do well in the SEC this year. And speaking of Kentucky, you know, after they've responded nicely after that blowout loss to the Blue Devils. But what I think separates this Kentucky team for John Calipari, and I was kind of struggling trying to figure out why this team is different, is I really don't think there is one legitimate top five pick on this starting five right now. Then you're looking at other teams in the country that have guys that possibly could be that. Bruhachimura took a huge step up today. There's one. Obviously at least AJ Barrett and Zion Williamson are probably going to be top five picks. There's two more that puts us at three. Then you can kind of decide who you want your fourth and your fifth to be, but certainly not the kind of usual talent level that we're expected and have become accustomed to at Kentucky, even with this being a very highly rated draft class, for whatever reason, they're just a little bit off right now. You could very well make the case that Reed Travis, a guy that was playing at Stanford up until last season, is the best player right now on the floor for the Wildcats. Then moving over to the Big Ten, Iowa surprisingly winning the 2K Empire Classic. Jordan Bohannon and co. really just controlled the basketball, paced themselves, don't beat themselves, and then put themselves in a nice position to win. They could be a sleeper team to come out of the Big Ten. You know, we watched Indiana have a nice opening victory over Marquette, but then they really struggled to deal with Arkansas's pressure. And then Michigan, granted, they have beaten Villanova very impressively, but this is a down Nova team, really not the same quality of wins as Iowa's wins over Oregon and UConn. So the Hawkeyes could be the team to beat there. And then the the last team that's kind of a question mark in the Big Ten right now, Ohio State. Their best win so far is over Creighton 69-60, to 60, but we're going to learn a lot more going forward. So that moves us along to the Heisman Trophy, a little college football, why don't we? Right now, this is really a two-man race, pun intended. It's two attack of Lois to lose. He's got 31 touchdowns on the season to only two interceptions. He had three touchdowns this last weekend against Citadel and for a very long period of time. He had not thrown one incomplete pass. Certainly a very impressive year for Tagovailoa. He's all but got it locked up at this point, except for one guy, and that is Kyler Murray. Murray right now, 34 touchdowns to six interceptions. He had two touchdowns and one interception against the Jayhawks this last weekend. And what's impressive about Murray is that in the Sooners' sole loss of the season to Texas, while the defense did not show up, he still managed to put up 45 points on the board and got the job done. So that puts us as a two-man race. The benefit that Murray, I think, has in his favor is that he is going to be taking on West Virginia this weekend at West Virginia. That gives him an opportunity to show off against another fringe Heisman Trophy contender in Will Greer, and a very impressive performance again there, I think, could potentially push him over to a For most of the season, we've heard only Tua, Tua, Tua. In the last few weeks, Murray has kind of crept up there. And I think one big solid performance. And then if Tua were to struggle a little bit against Auburn in the Iron Bowl, that could push Murray over the threshold, provided he gets the job done in the Big 12 championship game. Now, one thing that's interesting to me here is that, you know, we've constantly heard about the SEC bias. And, you know, the SEC only plays eight conference games, whereas other conferences play nine. And many of the other conferences that play nine feels like it gives him an unfair advantage. You know, unfortunately for the time being, the committee appears dead set on leaving things as is. They really don't want to change that or pressure these conferences into agreeing on all playing a nine-game or eight-game schedule. But looking at the play here, you know, 11 of two touchdowns have come against Louisville, Arkansas State, Louisiana, and Citadel. Really no powerhouses there. That's compared to Kyler Murray's non-conference schedule against a 9-2 Army team, a UCLA team that beat Southern Cal and Florida Atlantic, which they will go bowling this weekend if they defeat Charlotte. Maybe one way for the committee to quote-unquote punish the SEC would to be award Kyler Murray of the Big 12 the Heisman Trophy over Tua, but I don't see that happening. Then at 3, Gardner-Michu, Washington State, 36 touchdowns to 7 interceptions. A overwhelming seven touchdowns this last weekend against Arizona State, which boasts Khalil Tate, who entered the season with probably the most Heisman hype. And he does have that game day bump, but I just don't see him closing the gap on Tua. And then lastly, the new addition, Karen Higdon, the running back for the Michigan Wolverines. He's got 10 touchdowns this season, over 1,100 rushing yards, and a nice 5.3 average. He had 101 last weekend against Indiana. And if he just runs shot over Ohio State this weekend, maybe that doesn't have to propel him into the a finalist role as one of the top three. But like I said, it is to us to lose at this point. So moving back over to college basketball, previewing some of the top matchups tonight in just a few minutes, Auburn taking on Arizona number eight. Arizona losing to Gonzaga, Auburn losing to Duke. Going to be a show of probably the two best point guards in the country right now. I am excited. We're going to get to see Justin Coleman take on Jared Harper. I think Sean Miller's team pulls off the upset here. While Coleman has been receiving a lot of attention, Brandon Randolph's ability to just get to the rim and score impresses me a heck of a lot. And I think that tandem gets the job done here, provided Chase Dieter stays out of foul trouble. Then, on Thursday, we've got Wisconsin taking on Oklahoma. Ethan Happ had a big game against Stanford today, like I said earlier, he continues to look like a very good college player. Having seen Oklahoma in the game preceding Wisconsin's game against Stanford, I can tell you right now that the Badgers should have no problem disposing of the Sooners, and Ethan Happ will have another big game. Then, in Game 1 of the Vegas Invitational, North Carolina taking on Texas. North Carolina doing it without starting point guard 7th Woods. He's out with a concussion. Shaka Smart's team, though, has struggled offensively, and the combination of Nasir Little and Luke May— And the other pieces that Roy Williams' teams have should put the Tar Heels over the threshold, even without their starting point guard here. I think they get the job done. And then in Game 2 of the Vegas Invitational, we've got Michigan State, number 11, taking on number 17, UCLA. Michigan State is 3-0 following the blowout to open the season against Kentucky. Excuse me, following the loss to Kansas to open the season. UCLA is 4-0, but really hasn't played anyone. In this game, though, I think we saw Nick Ward really struggle to deal with the length and size of Udoku as Ubike in the Spartans game against the Jayhawks. And I think that Moses Brown, with him being slightly longer and a little bit more athletic than Ubike, is going to give the Spartans trouble all night long. And I think the Bruins pull off the upset. So then moving along to day two of the Vegas Invitational, that would put North Carolina, against UCLA and Michigan State against Texas. The Tar Heels should have no problem dispensing of Steve Alford's burn team. And I think in a very fun but tightly tight game, we're going to see the Spartans beat Texas probably by only a couple of points. And then on Monday, the last college football game we're going to preview today, Nebraska traveling to number 16, Clemson. Nebraska, though, has a loss, coming off a loss to Texas Tech, 70-52. to 52. Clemson is right now playing in the championship game against in the championship game of the Cayman Islands Classic and against Creighton. Remember I said earlier that Creighton had lost to Ohio State, so this is a good comparison game. But I think Marquise Reed gets the job done here for the Tigers, and they continue to be undefeated. So finally, moving along back to college football, previewing the top group of five games of rivalry week. We have a huge group of five showdown between Houston and Memphis to decide who comes out of that American conference west division Memphis favored by a touchdown there and remember the Cougars are doing it without starting quarterback Derek King he's out for the rest of the season with a knee injury Ed Oliver could possibly also be out for the Cougars but reports are saying that he will be in the game well one good thing for the Cougars is that even with having lost their starting quarterback before the last game of the season they did manage to beat Tulane on a Thursday night last week with Clayton Toon playing almost the entirety of the second half And they do have Quinton Dormany on their roster. Memphis really this year has struggled defensively. And I think with Oliver back and with Toon having had extra time to prepare and get with Kendall Browse. And really simplify that playbook to really what he can do. The Cougars pull off the upset here and punch their ticket to the American Conference Championship game. Where they'll take on UCF. Speaking of UCF, they're taking on South Florida this weekend in the war on I-4. UCF favored by 14 here. Certainly this game... Had a lot more lust to it earlier in the season when both these teams were undefeated. Now, though, only South Florida is undefeated. They're coming off that 38-13 victory over Cincy on game day. South Florida, four in a row, lost. Coming off a loss to Temple, 27-17. Central Florida gets the job done here, although I don't see them covering. Similar to Oklahoma. Well, the Golden Knights have been great, their defense has been suspect. They did show up. Very impressed, very much impressed me in that game against Cincy. But in this game, I think we're going to see them regress to their mean. And while they will win handily, I don't see them covering that 14-point spread. Then, Navy taking on Tulane. Tulane favored by a touchdown. Tulane coming off that 48-17 loss to the Cougars. Remember, Tulane has looked way better recently with Justin McMillan under center, the LSU transfer. Navy coming off a victory over Tulsa, 37-29. And it's not been a great year for the midshipmen and Ken Neumatola's team. They entered the year with a lot of hype. Neomatola was actually linked to a number of jobs in the offseason last year, but unfortunately, the midshipmen have struggled all year. Tulane's defense has been good so far, but they have not faced a triple-option team yet. Ask anyone that's played Georgia Tech how different it is and how difficult it is to play a triple-option team if you're not prepared for it. The one team that they did play who runs some concepts similar to Navy would be UAB, and they gave up 31 points in a loss. So I think the midshipmen pull off the upset here. Then Troy taking on Appalachian State in a huge Sun Belt Conference showdown. Appalachian State favored by 10.5. Troy's 9 2, and they're going to enter the game with some questions given that Neil Brown, their head coach, has been linked to a number of jobs. The biggest one probably being Louisville, given that he's from Kentucky and played at Kentucky. They're coming off a 12 7 victory over Texas State. Appalachian State is 8-2 and and coming off a 45-17 victory over Georgia State. And remember, we've got the Georgia Southern tiebreaker here. Appalachian State failed to defeat Georgia Southern, but Troy did get the job done. So this game will decide part of the Sunbelt Conference Championship game. Unfortunately, I think with some of the issues off-field distracting this Troy team, we're going to see Appalachian State win here, although they won't cover that 10.5-point spread. And then finally, in a huge Mountain West Mountain Conference showdown, we've got Utah State traveling to Boise. Boise favored by two and a half in a late game, 10 15 Eastern time, kickoff 7 15 Pacific time. Boise coming off a 45 14 victory over New Mexico. Utah State almost losing to Colorado State 29 24. Had it not been for a referee seeing that the Rams receiver had stepped out of bounds, they would have lost that game to the Rams and what would have been a huge upset. And not just the Mountain West, but college football, given that Utah State is finally seeing its name on some top 25 rankings. Unfortunately, I see the Broncos getting the job done here. Brett Ripon and co. are going to have a fun duel with Jordan Love for the Aggies. But in the end, it's going to come down to the Broncos defense, and they're just slightly better than the Aggies right now. So that's it for me today, guys. I'll be back on Monday to discuss all of the latest in college basketball and college football, the second half of Feast Week in college basketball, bring you the latest stories in college football, and preview the Power 5 Conference Championship games. So I will see you on Monday. You guys have a great weekend. Happy Thanksgiving from inside you, and I'll see you soon. Bye.